Well, hello, everybody. You're listening to the Woodworkers Podcast. I'm Ben Brunick, and I'm joined with Ramon Valdez and Philip Morley. Hello. And tonight, we... <laughs> how you guys doing? Good. 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 And we also have a special guest this evening, um, Craig Thibodeau, uh, marketry master, um, all around, I don't know, studio furniture, puzzle boxes, just does spectacular work. And wizard. And a, and a, and a new author. The Craft of Veneering, Craig's new book that comes out, what was it, are you saying the 16th, but you're thinking maybe it's just going to be pushed back just a couple of days, Craig? Yeah, hi guys, it'll probably be pretty soon after that. Okay. Awesome. But you can get your pre-order in now, so what are you waiting Everybody for? should pre-order at least one. Right, <laughs> at least one. And Christmas is good for just Christmas presents, yes, you know, <laughs> kids' birthday parties. Right. <laughs> and the ages can be from two to whatever, it doesn't matter. It's going to have to be, there's a lot of pictures. Yeah. It's going to Pictures. Lots of pictures. <laughs> hey, Craig, it's great to have you on here, and uh, what an honor. I've, I've been following your work for, for many, many years as a kid myself. <laughs> well, thanks, Philip. I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me on. It's going to be great. Yeah, this is fantastic. I, I just discovered you years ago, and it was like every, everything that I saw was just mind-blowing. Right. And um, yeah, your, your work is beyond extraordinary. Thanks, Ramon. I appreciate Absolutely. that. Well, right on. Well, let's 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 get right into it. First off, Craig, how how long have you been doing this? You've been at at the woodworking now for were you t before the show? You were we were talking a little bit since two thousand. Is that right? Yeah, since two thousand, full time, eighteen years professionally, and then uh, quite a bit before that, just playing with a garage shop or a storage unit. I've had a variety of shops over the years. Okay, do you, do you work with anybody? I mean, does anyone work with you or for you? Or no, I'm, you're pretty... I'm a shop of one. I've kind of always been a shop of one, and I, I like that. So I, I, I like, yeah. In lieu of employees, what I do is outsource certain things like finishing. Um, goes to a professional finisher here in town. I'll outsource a variety of metalwork, occasionally some laser cutting and marquetry, things like that that I can easily send to someone else, especially the finishing. Um, it, it keeps me from having to have a finishing department in the shop or a finisher in the shop. And I don't that have makes to sense. Yeah. exposed to the chemicals. And right. I bet that finisher is scared crapless. <laughs> <laughs> He's working on that mother of pearl desk right now. And uh, it's a challenge. Definitely a challenge. It's getting Has it been the same guy for, for, for with all your pieces or? Yeah, it's been uh, 11 years now, I think. I've been working with him, Steve Donto, nice. here in town. That's fantastic. Well, that, that speaks volumes. Well, to find someone you can trust, too. I've I've had some nightmare stories of people didn't finish uh, for me and, and my mentor um, the same. And I think that's why we've always done our finish. It's just you, to find someone that you can work with. That's the big thing. So it's really cool. Uh, yeah, he does, he does a variety of finishes as well, which helps. He does, yeah, nice. you know, lacquer, conversion varnish, polyester, polished gloss finishes, pigmented conversion varnish if you need paint. He, he does basically everything except everything, like right. oil or shellac. That's really cool. Mm. So he does all the real finishes. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. 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 He, he doesn't do yeah. none of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oil and shellac. Just That's lost a bunch finish. of followers. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, sorry. <laughs> Great. Shellac, come on now. Just, <laughs> just subscribe or unsubscribe, unsubscribe. <laughs> I did want to ask you about the Mother of Paul. Um, I, I was curious, I guess it was a few weeks ago, um, you, you mentioned it was going off to the finisher or something, but uh, what what is the process for that? I've never I've never used Mother of Paul before. Uh, I was kind of what, wondering what the process or what kind of finish uh, you're using on next. It looks beautiful. Thank you. This particular Mother of Pearl is different than what you would get at like a Luthier Supply House where it's 
you know, it's 16th of an inch thick and it comes in maybe one and a half inch size pieces. Right. This is mother of pearl that's been sliced into thin sheets and essentially made into veneers. Wow. So the sheets that I start with are five <laughs> inches by nine inches, but they're only about three thousandths of an inch thick. Oh my goodness. And really? they have, yeah, wow. they have, they have essentially a white paint on the back of the pearl because the pearl is translucent. You can't really see very much of it because it's so thin, but when you put the white paint on all the colors and the figure come out. Wow. And then it's actually top coated by the by the manufacturer, but I end up cutting it into the pieces I need to do like the diagonal pattern that's on the desk. So it's made up essentially of a whole bunch of two inch wide pieces. Um, and then that finish that's on there, I scraped just with a hand scraper flat because it has some waves in it. And then it goes to the finisher and it gets um, just a seal coat and automotive clear on top of that. And then it, it's going to probably have eight or nine coats of finish and then it'll be ground back flat and polished wow but wow, the mother of pearl amazing. itself is a, this particular one i did in a different met method because the pearl is so thin i used a white pigmented epoxy to glue it to a substrate of 16th inch baltic birch which then was glued with polyurethane glue onto the core that's an actual so the, that makes sense yeah the core on this one is solid poplar so the but the pearl is glued to a stable 60th inch Baltic birch, and then that's glued to the poplar in a totally separate step. So you can you can cut and fit the pearl pieces together without having to try and fit them to the curved legs and all that. You, you know, uh, it gets put together in two steps. So I can make I can lay out a template for the shape of the leg, and then glue it flat onto the 16th Baltic, and then bend it to the shape that I need when I glue it onto the leg. Oh, yeah, that, that's, that's awesome. That's yeah, that's incredible. Wow. It, it's yes. you know, it's it's a different process because it's not thicker mother of pearl. The, the pearl right. you would use for inlay is it's basically a sixteenth of an inch thick, and I would have had to make it up out of you know a whole bunch of tiny little pieces, and then that whole surface would have been had would have had to be ground into the shape because they're flat inch sure. and a half squares basically. So then they would have had to have been sanded to a curve to fit where the flexible mother of curl will just fall right into that curve and it fits perfect. Man, that's incredible. Jeez, yeah, that is. That's yeah for, for that's a different level right there. <laughs> I'm still trying to catch sure. up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not looking and, at your images like okay he just said <laughs> Yeah if you go back a little ways you can see where I've yes yeah, you know, started it up. To, yeah it's really cool. I just Yeah it makes it makes it easy to cut the pearl because you you can't really cut the pearl with the power tools when it's right. the thin because it just shatters and right. even cutting it with a I cut all these pieces with a scalpel the raw pearl and even then it shatters and flakes and chips at the edges right. does the paint on the back have any benefit as far as holding it together uh, no not really, not really. It bonds, that's, that's it not bonds nicely to the uh, pigmented epoxy which is good um, but all it really does is provide a backer this this particular company that makes this aqua blue Maui is in Hawaii well or Maui I guess um, they make I think the last count like 900 different varieties of this where they have different colored paint on the back so you can get you know vibrant reds and purples and greens and all different figure patterns angel wing and you know they, they have so many different varieties it's hard to even pick one that would work but for this particular client she wanted a big white mother of pearl desk so that's, that's amazing <laughs> yeah it's a really lot of mother that's of pearl. a showpiece right there um, yeah, there's there's a couple dollars in the mother of pearl for this piece. It, it's not as expensive as it would be if you were using the the sixteenth solid thicker stuff. Right. Yeah, I mean the the five by nine sheets are about twenty five dollars a piece. Okay, that's not yeah, but, that's not bad. But there's about a hundred and something sheets in this desk, right. so there's you know twenty five hundred dollars in mother of pearl. Right, right. Yeah, for, for those people that that don't know what we're talking about, it's a, <laughs> it's a 
<laughs> it's a it's a death that everyone. is that the whole thing is mother of pearl. I mean, the, all of it's all veneered, but the the legs, the body, it's. I mean, it's all in mother of pearl, and it's and just, it's, it's banded in ebony. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, it's um, just under eighth inch ebony, essentially following all the curves of the legs and the stretchers. And it's a big desk. It's the size of a dining table. I mean, it's seven it's feet huge. by three and a half feet. It's huge. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's an eight-person dining table, but this is the size she wanted for her desk. Um, and then That's it gets an inset leather top, and it's got a couple drawers and a slide-out writing tray that gets leather <laughs> as well. It's so incredible. It's just. And are there any hidden compartments? No, no, this isn't that kind of piece, unfortunately. It's, it's just supposed to be a big, flashy desk, which it, which it definitely is. I saw it the other day with the first finish, and there's a post on my Instagram with that. And compared to the pictures before, it, it, even with just a couple coats of finish, it really starts to flash. Right. The mother pearl is really jumping out now. Oh. And then that ebony banding just makes that whole thing pop. And, and, yeah, the, it, and the bottom of the feet as well. Yeah, the, I think the ebony really highlighted the shape of the legs because the legs are just kind of a big curve but they're four and a half inches across at the top so they looked kind of chunky without it right, um, right. makes it, it look elegant yeah it yeah, defines them it does and it made them look a little bit smaller because the black line right. just took away from just a massive white I, I know why you put that black line on them so it would show up on the on a when you take photos of it <laughs> that's right yeah it's going on a white background like everything else can you, you imagine see it <laughs> That is spectacular, man. It really is. It's just jaw dropping when you when you explain how it's made. And you know, we really just need to go over to your shop and <laughs> watch well, you do that. Man. You guys are right down the street. Just come on by. Yeah, just right down the street. <laughs> if I was, <laughs> well, if you so, time it right, there might be something interesting to see. But if you just randomly stop by, it could be nothing. I'm there. pretty sure there'd yeah. always be something interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be staring at your veneer stash. Right. I just heard well, it's a crap load of veneer. <laughs> I think I'm done buying veneer for a little while because it's kind of stashed everywhere now. There's nowhere else to put it. Right. So, in the in the house under the bed. Yeah, I need to burn through some of it before I can buy any more. That's really cool, man. So that's, that really is amazing. What you know? What I think is spectacular um, to me is how, and it may not seem quick to you, but how efficient you are in the right in the process and 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 producing pieces because. It just, I mean, some of these pieces you do, and I'm just, I'm like, wait, he's done? What the heck? <laughs> and, and complicate, and complicate. Yeah, pieces. these puzzle boxes. And it's like, moving on to the next puzzle box. I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to work more hours or something. And, and the shop well, there, just there are definitely smarter. some hours in some of the pieces. The, the desk, for example, that essentially that took four weeks. Okay. Sort of start to finish. Um, it wasn't long hours. The puzzle box before that, the spinning cabinet, that was about two months, but it was seven days a week long days to get it done right. because i needed it done for the the tour yeah. of the puzzle collectors that were arriving on a very specific day yeah so it, it finished basically the day before it was supposed to be done uh, so cool but that was about two months for that one and it you know a lot of that is because and this maybe references your one of your earlier podcasts with uh, huggable tim coleman that, <laughs> <laughs> sure, i'm sure he'll appreciate that um that i'm working in a completely different way than he is on stuff right. like this it's not free form it's all done completely in cad ahead in of CAD, time everything right. is totally designed ahead of time because especially with the puzzle cabinets they're so complex internally. it would have to be it, it has to be otherwise i'm just staring standing there staring at it going what do i do now i'm not sure what piece is supposed to go in next and i'm i'm drawing these up entirely in cad but i'm also sort of 
mentally building them as I'm doing that. So I can figure out, okay, I have to put this piece in next before I do this other thing, because then I won't be able to get to that anymore. Have you always built furniture or did you have some, cause your, your, your mind from mechanics is incredible. I'm assuming you have some David Rogen influence. In yeah. Somewhere. Most, most of the mechanical stuff is definitely inspired by the Rontgens. It It's something that Rankins. I've wanted to emulate ever since I saw their initial videos years ago. Um, but I do have a mechanical engineering background. I, I studied mechanical engineering in school and did product design for a few years before I started building furniture. I can't say that I actually learned anything that I'm using now in college, though, because it was all stuff that I never used again. You know, it was calculus and physics and stuff that's not really related to building furniture. Um, but I probably always had some sort of a mechanical interest and sure the engineering was you know a handy way to kind of explore that a little bit and then i always did product design i did flashlights and hand tools and things like that for a job before i started doing the furniture full-time oh interesting so i've been using i use solidworks for all my cad and i've been using that for 25 years now so it's relatively quick for me to do even a quick mock-up of a design in SolidWorks that I can send to a client without spending hours of time on it. Um, you know, to do some of the more complex puzzle cabinets, the full design maybe takes a week, maybe even takes two weeks of CAD time to get all of, but I'm building these models with all of the mechanical components inside. So the, the CAD model of the spinning cabinet, you can actually rotate and the drawers come in and out in the model. So I can see all of the mechanics interacting while it's mm. moving on the computer. Sure. And those take obviously longer than a couple hours. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. How long do you think you have in, like, in the mechanical box that you that you did before? How long do you think you have in the design for the which one? The spinning one? Yeah, the spinning one. The one that the one that you completed for the uh, it was a puzzle group. Was that? Yeah, it's uh, it's called the International Puzzle Party. It's a group of hardcore puzzle collectors. I think there are maybe three or four hundred at this year's convention, and it happened to be in San Diego at the beginning of August, uh, where they have like a four-day convention where all these puzzle makers and collectors meet at a fancy hotel, and they buy puzzles and exchange puzzles, and then they do a variety of tours outside of the convention. And one of those unofficial tours was to my shop, and there were about 45 of those people that came to the shop to see this cabinet in place and including the people that commissioned it were also part of that group and they got to see it for the first time with a group of their friends essentially well, that's um awesome but for for that particular piece i probably have about a week of full-time design work on that okay. um the previous piece the wisteria cabinet the taller drop front desk one probably has about two weeks of design time it was much more complex internally than this one because it had, you know, vertical moving components and horizontal moving components and just a whole bunch of little secret latches and magnetic locks and things. Right. This one was a little bit simpler than that. Super cool. I would love to just hear more about, like, what motivates you or what... We were talking about kind of your work, right? We are like, you, you seem to get through projects. And quickly. I know... Well, quickly, I don't know if quickly is, like, the right word because it definitely, I know it's probably not quickly to you. But no, it, you're efficient at what you're doing, and yeah. that's just as much of a skill set as the rest of it. And I, I just love, I would love to hear more about the business, not not the pricing and stuff like that. But what does it look like a day in the life of Craig Tibolo? <laughs> you know, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I feel kind of special now. <laughs> I mean, it is it is kind of what you describe. I, the goal is definitely to be efficient and not to waste a lot of time. 
in the shop, just kind of puttering around. Um, so I don't waste a lot of time doing things that maybe a more traditional woodworker would do. Like I don't spend a lot of time sharpening tools. I don't spend a lot of time doing other things. If, if there's a fast hang, way to hang do cut dovetails. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to know how to do them. I really would. <laughs> As long as I could know how to do them quickly. Right, right. If right. they still took a long time, then there would be no purpose because I wouldn't be able to use them. Right. Because, um, like you said, it, it definitely is a business, and I'm doing this because it feeds a family. I mean, I'm feeding a family of four just on this. So, right. It, it needs to be productive. Proficient. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've got to get things done when I'm in the shop. So, I, I tend to work pretty diligently in the shop. I don't waste a lot of time on stuff. I guess what um, I meant when I said quickly, I mean, as far as, right. you know, in, in relation to the complexity of the, of the pieces that you make, it's, it's, it's really impressive. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I mean, well, that, that probably does come somewhat with practice, I think. Sure. Um, like most things, these mechanical pieces, each one I build, I think I've built five or six of them now. Uh, each one is definitely a learning experience, and I'm learning not just stuff that I like doing, but stuff that I don't like doing. You know, certain mechanisms that are incredibly fussy to get functional, where you may spend a week getting just one drawer to work the way I, I want it to work, that I learn a lot about what I don't want to do in the future on newer pieces. So <laughs> each piece is kind of an evolution of, okay, this was kind of fun, and it looks really cool, and I enjoyed building it. And this other part was just horrendous and I never want to do it again. Right, right, right. Um, yep, I heard that. So and, and, you, and you do a lot of the design work uh, ahead of time. Like you said, instead of coming into the shop and, and trying to scratch it out full scale, you, you do a lot of it in like a CAD program. Is that right? Yeah, that was something we talked about earlier where uh, that's probably where you cut out. We Right. Maybe I wasn't supposed to mention that. Oh, Maybe sorry. you were. Yeah. Yeah. So, so destroyed Phil, the, just destroyed yeah. the illusion Phil, right there. No, uh, the third, Phil was there the whole time. There's no illusion. We're all rookies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Phil. Phil cut out, and so we had to stop and uh, stop and call everybody back, and then we started in again. So I had to use the restroom. So that's right. That's right. <laughs> But yeah, every, everything, just to, to recap, everything is drawn in CAD. The, the majority of the work I do, it's all, except for things like chairs, I right. don't typically do those in CAD, but everything else is almost 100% designed in CAD so that I can just go to the shop and start building. And I don't typically start, I don't start building until the design is complete. Complete, yeah. Because I'm just wasting time. Even the cabinet I'm building right now, I've been fine-tuning some parts of the design as I've been making veneered panels and I don't like doing it because I may change something in the design where I now I need a panel to be an eighth of an inch wider than I, right. than I made it. <laughs> right, right. Which is kind of annoying. Right. So with the, with the mechanics, um, do you run into situations where you need access to them later or, I mean, because some of those you would think they have to be pretty foolproof for, you know, longevity. Yeah, and that, that again goes to the sort of practice is making things better. Um, the more I'm doing of these, the more robust the designs are getting, the more robust the mechanical components are getting, and the easier it is to access them. Like the mm -hmm. spinning cabinet, you can pull out a couple drawers and get just about all the access you need to the internals of that, because the drawers don't look like they come all the way out, but they do actually come all the way out if you push in the right spot. Right. Um, this cabinet, the, the little cabinet I'm doing right now that has that, what I call the control panel with the little four push buttons, there's a, a lid that will go on top of that. And under the lid is a storage compartment, like the divided trays for sunglasses. But that whole compartment will just lift right out. 
I, so you I love that access. you use a lot of Baltic birch just because of its stability, uh, I'm, I'm assuming. It's it's stable and it's strong. Um, and on this cabinet, like the lower frames, you know, they're four and a half inches high and three inches wide. I didn't want to make them out of solid wenge. So instead, <laughs> I built up, you know, basically brick laid Baltic birch and then veneered it in Resawn 16th inch wenge. Perfect. So you'll never you'll never see the Baltic birch lines, and it's completely right. veneered the top, the bottom, the inside. Everything is veneered, so it just looks like it's a piece it looks of solid like it's wenge big now. Chunk of wenge, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, because four inch thick wenge would be difficult to find and extremely expensive. Right, right. Mm. So because I resawed that, I was able to get all of the wenge for this piece out of just one, one piece, you know, six one inch wide chunk. board. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so everything matches perfectly, which is something I like to do, even like the. The spinning cabinet and the the wisteria cabinet, the one before the drop front, each of those is made out of essentially a single board, one big board of mahogany for the wisteria one, and then a big board of walnut for the spinning cabinet, or two big boards yeah. of walnut that just happen to be sequential. Well, and for what and, you're wait, doing, it just kind of it just makes sense, right? I mean, solid wood really wouldn't be much of an option for a lot of the design work that you do with the tight tolerances and the inset stuff and the mechanics. Working. Right. Yeah, right. there's there's very little play in some of those mechanics, so right. there there isn't room for much expansion and contraction. Sure. Um, the things have to be pretty tight, so a lot of it is veneered construction. Right. And Wayne gave, in particular, I mean, the the seams will virtually disappear. With that's a fantastic oh, yeah. spe species for that. Yeah, and all the veneering of the top and bottom frames, it was all done out of sequentially sliced piece, so it's all mm -hmm. perfectly matched. It, it'll look like it's made out of solid wenge. Yeah. You can't even tell. Right. I mean, the 16th inch edge, you, it'll be gone when it's sanded and sanded broken out. a little bit. That's beautiful. Yeah, I was looking at the spinning cabinet that you had. Um, was that And that's walnut? What's the lighter wood? That's curly anagray. Oh, nice. Oh, it is? Yep. Uh, and then the drawers are actually made of Sitka spruce. That's beautiful. Primarily mm. because it was really stable, but it also just happened to be a color that really went well with the anagray. Right, right. Makes sense. That's really cool. Now, I, I had a, uh, a quick just question you mentioned. Um, so I'm assuming when you do uh, the veneer work and you're using, you're using Baltic birch as the core, is that correct? Yep. That you mentioned? Um, on most things. On most things. Okay. And when you get that, say it's like a – because I just ran into this a problem I had recently – where I, you know, quickly just moved on with the project without checking the Baltic birch, and they varied in size. And I thought I had seen you in the past, whether it was a video or on Instagram, that you were just sending the panels through like a wipeout sandal sander uh, before you veneered it. Am I thinking mm. right? Is that something you practice? No, you do? That, that's somebody else. Okay. All right. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> Don't even know what I'm doing, Phil. Most of the stuff I do, it doesn't really matter to me if the if panel is of a specific thickness because right. everything's got a, a setback of some kind, an eighth of an inch sure, or sixteenth sure. of an inch. Right. What I don't typically do, I don't do the finished veneer directly on the Baltic birch. I will do a cross grain veneer first. Okay in some secondary wood and then do the finished veneer on top of that um it, it's a little bit more stable that way and i i don't typically do like if i need a three-quarter inch thick baltic birch panel like i have on this cabinet the two removable sides are three-quarters of an inch thick they're made up of uh what are they made up of uh two layers of three-eighths inch baltic birch okay because baltic birch is just never flat 
So I take two pieces off the same sheet, fold them together, and then they come out perfectly flat. And then that's, mm. there's layer of veneer in between and then veneer on the outsides, like a secondary veneer. And then the finished veneer goes on top of that. Oh, wow. So it's a, it's a little bit more time consuming that way, but I end up with panels that are very flat and stay very flat. Stable, stable and strong. And yeah, they do don't. Do you ever they don't... use a MDF for a for a for a substrate? Not by itself, but I will skin Baltic birch with like eighth inch MDF if I've got a yes, large panel. Exactly. Yeah, like the drop front desk, the front panel was uh, inch. I think it was one inch thick, so it's two layers of three eighths Baltic and then two layers of eighth inch Baltic top and bottom, one on each side, and then that gets veneered. So I, for the marquetry, I end up with a nice, perfectly smooth surface. Mm, yeah. That makes sense. So with, with the designs that you do, um, how many of the designs are, are yours? Like when, it, when a client comes to you and they want you to build something, are they coming to you with a specific thing? Or how many times do you get to do a design, what it, kind, of, kind of what you want? Like how, how much free reign do you have with, right. with most clients? I have almost complete free reign on just about every project, mm-hmm. um, which you would think is a good thing. And sometimes it is, but when it comes to like the puzzle collectors and the mechanical cabinets, these people don't typically want to know how the piece works. And the last two have not even known what the thing looked like until it was finished. Oh, wow. Um, the, were, the were they cab- able to fig- figure that out? I don't know. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not there when they, I mean, the people that collected, the collectors that came down for the spinning cabinet, they played with it a little bit while they were here. And then I brought it to the puzzle convention oh. where they had a table. <laughs> And it got played with, you know, by another 50 people. And they were kind of watching it, but it's at their house now. Wow, um, that's awesome. It's just something they're going to play with when they have parties. I don't know. They, they said they forgot how it worked after seeing it a couple times. So <laughs> I'm not 100% cool. sure. The, the Wisteria <laughs> cabinet, the drop front desk one from a few months ago, that one went to Singapore. And as far as I know, it's unfortunately still in a crate somewhere in a warehouse because the client oh my is gosh. moving. So oh, it's wow. been it's been created for a couple of months now, um, uh, but he didn't. The only thing he saw were essentially the finished pictures. These people don't want to know anything about how the piece functions. They want to figure it all out themselves. That's a part of it, huh? That's, that's it is. Yeah, that's amazing. And yeah, so like, like in, in years, you know, like someone will find a little draw they didn't even know about. That's really. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, not everything is shown in the videos that I do purposefully. Right. There's some stuff left out, but like the spinning cabinet, the only information I got from the client was the overall dimensions of the space that it had to go in. They didn't care what it was made out of, what it looked like. We just had some rough discussions of it kind of needs to be, you know, sort of modern-ish. Right. And they didn't want marketry on the outside. And that's, I mean, I'm I'm assuming that's they've seen your scope of work, they've seen your portfolio. Um, You have a reputation. So that's kind of what they're, they're banking on, right? It gives you that, gives you that free range where they're just like, build me something awesome, (laughs) which is pretty fantastic. it does work that way. It's surprisingly challenging to get that initial design started right. on something complex like this, because these are big, complex pieces. The drop front desk was quite complex. So just to get the initial design started and get a rough idea of, okay, it's, I think it's going to be a desk. I mean, he didn't know if it was a desk or a cabinet or a chest of drawers. Oh, so I'm, wow. I'm on those pieces tasked with determining what the piece of furniture actually is first and then coming up with a design for it. That's very tricky because a lot of times when you build a piece of furniture, I mean, you start with function. I mean, like, like what are you going to use this for? What are you going to put in it? How yeah. big do you need the drawers? And you're yeah. on the other end of the spectrum. 
it's kind of the other end and it, it's also somewhere inside this piece there has to be enough room for the mechanical components to make things move and for the puzzles so i have a a minimum size that i've got to start with maybe on something and then yeah. I, I add functionality. The drawers are useful. You can put stuff in them, all that kind of stuff. So it's not just, you know, a hundred tiny little drawers right. that you have to find the solutions for. It actually could be a useful piece. The drop front desk could actually be very useful as a desk. Sure. Um, you know, there's lots of places to store pencils and papers and all that stuff if you want to. And it's designed for that. You know, the little drawers on that rising elevator piece are sized to fit a piece of paper. You know, it's designed to be functional, even though it probably won't ever be used as a desk. It'll probably be like what the rest of them are. They're kind of toys for somebody to play with. Right. It's a, it's a showpiece and have, when they entertain or something, have people kind of going over it. That's, that's yeah, it's functional art right there. <laughs> functional kind of, art, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't typically repeat designs, but like the chess table, the Art Deco chess table and chairs, that's a repeat design. I've done that table three or four times now. Right. And the chairs a couple times as well. And that's one of the only pieces that I've repeated more than once. Everything else is kind of intended to be a one-off. So, right, right. you know, every piece is kind of a new challenge in a way. It's got a different mechanism than the previous one or different puzzles. It's a different style. That's kind of the goal with the mechanical stuff, too, is to make each piece look like it functions differently. That's why, like, the drop front desk mm. looks one way, but the spinning cabinet does something completely different. Right. I think I remember on... I, don't, I think it was a spinning cabinet. You were starting to incorporate magnets and it got kind of complicated because magnets are really tricky to figure out the strengths. And it, that, was that... The, that was the Wisteria cabinet, the oh, previous it was? one, the desk. Yeah, because that has magnets where you, you could pull out a drawer and it would unlock one thing or you'd open a door and it would unlock something else. Like the rising elevator, as it comes up, it magnetically unlocks one of the other drawers but the two pieces are not actually connected. And then the little clock that comes out of a drawer that goes on top of oh, the yeah. elevator, that's that's magnetic, magnetically connected. There's no physical connection between the clock and the lock that unlocks the drawers. It's all done with magnets. Wow. Those are, those are diametric magnets, so they're different than the traditional magnet, where a traditional magnet is magnetized top and bottom. A diametric magnet is magnetized, magnetized left and right, essentially. So mm -hmm. one half of a right. cylinder is positive and one half is negative so if you stack two and you turn one the other one will follow and turn around with it mm -hmm. so Absolutely. when you turn the hands on the clock it, it goes through a set of miter gears and it rotates a magnet and that magnet forces the magnet underneath the cabinet inside the rising box to rotate and unlock drawers <laughs> yeah that, that is awesome i, I just love that wow. Jeez, see just like a one minute explanation now you know how to do it <laughs> I'm gonna go. Do yeah, it's perfectly clear. Clear. I expect <laughs> to see that on everybody else's stuff. Right. Gave Watch away out the full secret right there. That's <laughs> really amazing. How many pieces? Um, so, are all the pieces that you're doing are they all commissions, or do you do you throw speculations in there? On, speculative pieces on occasion. Just, no. It, yeah, especially the mechanical and puzzle stuff. It it just takes too long and they're too expensive. Right. I wouldn't want to do so one just on spec. Stay on spec. Yeah, they're expensive pieces, so they're they're time consuming to build. And sure. I, I think I would have difficulty selling one to somebody if they hadn't been involved at some point in its construction. Okay, you know, sure. This space, or I needed to do you know this kind of puzzle because each of these puzzle collectors has a particular type of puzzle they like you know, okay. burr puzzles and twisty puzzles. And there, there's so many different types of puzzles and the collectors all have their favorites. So each piece that I've designed 
has kind of been designed to appeal to that collector's favorite puzzles. And, and how long how long have you been doing the puzzle pieces? Uh, I think the first one was uh, two and a half, three years ago. Two and a half, three. So this is something that's that's what I thought. It was, I thought it was something relatively new. How did you get into that if if it was all commission based? Did somebody come? So obviously somebody must have come to you with I want to do a, a puzzle piece, and yeah, I'm just I interested guess. in hearing how that how you got into that it actually all started with the what i call the automaton table which is the first art deco mechanical piece i did where you push down on the top and it comes up and oh, the tray right. folds out and the drawer comes out and it's got a little then it had the rotating yeah it's got the, the the lewis cube rotating lewis, yeah yep uh, i did that piece in it's probably been seven or eight years now and that was for a local client who I showed the Runkit videos to, and he wanted something, but he wanted it to be an Art Deco piece. And that piece has gotten just a ton of publicity. It it comes up on Facebook all the time with new videos. The the companies that like to take other people's videos and change them completely and then post them on their site. Um, <laughs> it comes up on those all the time. And the spinning cabinet has started to do that as well, I've noticed. But that particular piece was seen by some of the people in this puzzle collecting group. So the client in Singapore that I just sent the Wisteria desk to has another piece from about three years ago that he commissioned after seeing that. And he's part of this puzzle collecting group. And the first piece I did that had puzzles in it was for him. And then that piece got some publicity as well. And it was seen by more of the puzzle collectors. And it, it's kind of, it's a small, very tight knit group. So when one of them sees something interesting, they send it to everybody else. Um, uh, that's really cool. That's a so, real niche, niche yeah, market it, right there. It's a little, little <laughs> tiny market that I don't want anybody else to get into, so don't even yeah. think about it. <laughs> I think you're good, huh? <laughs> yeah. I, I cheap out and use those, like, uh, what are they called? RFD locks? <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very tiny, very niche market for people that just really like puzzles. Um, right. And it, it would be a difficult market for somebody to get into without having been brought in by a client somewhere along the way. Right. Um, mm, like this, sense. like the spinning cabinet that that happened because the clients wanted it to happen for the show that just happened to be out of just total luck here in San Diego this year. Um, it's in a different city in a different country every year. And it just happened to be timing wise perfect because the, the convention was in San Diego and their piece was going to be done and they were going to be in San Diego to pick it up and be at the convention. So, you know, the stars all aligned for that piece to be shown to <laughs> every one of the puzzle collectors that was oh, in that. Wow. So anybody that has, you know, interest in puzzles is, you know, a real serious interest in puzzles is at that convention. And they came to see it. And I talked to a bunch of people while I was there and, you know, a bunch of other puzzle makers and, you know, we came up with ideas for some future commissions and we talked through stuff, but it's a it's an invitation only group. So if you're not invited to come in and say hi, you can't get in to say hi. And I got very lucky <laughs> that the clients basically said we want him to come in and we want him to show his cabinet. So I was there for a couple hours talking to people and showing off the cabinet. That's very cool. And it would never have happened if those people hadn't decided to commission that piece and have it ready at that time. And the convention happened to be in San Diego and you know it's awesome everything just happened to line up perfectly <laughs> right so That's... it's not a market that 
somebody else is just going to jump into and go, oh, I'm going to build a you know really complicated right, right. puzzle cabinet because I mean they're, they're too time consuming to make on spec, so you got to find somebody that's you got have a client willing to pay for that. Yeah, that's really mm-hmm. cool. And yeah. and and you've got to and you got to pull it off. <laughs> yes, you've got <laughs> it should <laughs> work at the end. Yeah, you got to. You know, does it does it come with instructions? <laughs> it does one. not. Um, it does they, not. They come with the videos, but they don't have instructions. Um, you know, if the person wants to look at the video, they all know that I'm making videos of these pieces that show most of the steps, and you can figure out right. stuff that's not shown in the video. But most of them don't want to see it, and they don't. Yeah, want to know. it's like you said. That's a part of it. It's it's yeah. a puzzle. They want to figure it out. You know, over time and. That's yeah. That's that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, but but back to your question, Ben. No, I don't make any spec work anymore. Spec work. Um, I'd like to because there are still a couple shows I'd like to put pieces in, but there just isn't time. I'm booked out with pieces like this for probably the next year. Have you done designing wood lately? Uh, no, showings? not for five or six years now. Yeah. No. no, I did for a long time. I started doing that in uh, 1999, and I think I stopped in 2013 or something. Did they get tired of you winning first place and everything? No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, no. But but the, the work I was doing changed, so the work became sure. quite a bit more expensive. I was there um, in I think twenty twenty eleven or twenty ten. I don't really remember. Um, I think you had uh, you had a piece there. I don't remember which one it was. Uh, you were showing. Was, did you have something on display, or you just stopped by? Or? I did. I, I I ended up getting second place in the the veneering and marquetry. Oh, cool. um, furniture category and, and and probably you know second place to Craig Thibodeau if you might get there are lots of other people in that category I mean, <laughs> Paul Scher still shows stuff I think just about every year he has a piece in the show I just I'm not doing work that suits the show anymore the pieces these pieces don't suit that show because they're meant to be shown off fondled yeah they're meant to be played with sure um there's a show in Escondido up northern San Diego that I'd like to do where I've had pieces where, you know, they, it's a gallery and they have a gallery opening night with a couple hundred people and you can show the piece off and talk to people. But this it's, thing is just sitting. Fun. Yeah, the piece, like the spinning cabinet just sitting there. It's not that exciting just to have it sitting there. It's kind of like, you know, there's no drawer handles. What is it? What does it do? Is it just, yeah, right, um, right. Is it just a big block of wood? Um, if you can't play with it, it sort of takes away a little bit of the interest. Sure. So, but yeah, I mean, the I've got a piece coming up, another puzzle slash mechanical piece coming up. That's It's going to be the, the most complicated piece I've done by a long shot. And it's going to take up six to nine months of next year. Wow. Just on this one piece. It's kind of intended to be, um, if you've seen the National Treasure movies, which I'm sure you guys have. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's based on the Resolute Desk from the White House. As oh, kind cool. of a starting point. It's not going to look like that desk. It won't have any of those puzzles in it, but that's the scale of the piece. It's going to be a large desk, possibly from like 18th century in style, with just a ton wow. of complicated puzzles and mechanical movement. Yeah, that's so incredible. It should be fun. Yeah. Man, it sounds, it sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> and, you know, going back to like doing those type like spec work and shows, do you find that that's something that... Um, as you start out, that's something you try to get into to try to get clients. And then once you get busier, um, you kind of, you fade away from that. Um, yeah, definitely. Because I, I, like you said, I just don't see how you do it. Because even, even with me, that's how I started. I did shows and I did art shows and 
I'll travel for some, not major big ones, but it helped to get the name out there. But now I've got a show coming up next month and I have no idea what the heck to put in it. You know, I'm looking around my house going, I could probably refinish that. So it smells smells fresh. It smells fresh. It's got peanut butter and honey mm. all over it and jelly. But but yeah, it's it's just it's impo- I it's impossible to do. If if you're busy and you've got work that has to go out the doors, yeah. You don't have two months, three months to just work on a spec piece. No, but if you're just um, But like you said, you would love to. <laughs> yeah, if you're just starting out though, I got a lot of work from Design and Wood, but I showed at Design and Wood for fourteen or fifteen years pretty consistently. Oh, wow. And I, I did get a lot of work from it. I got marketry pieces from it. I had art deco pieces from it. Um, and it gets you a lot right. of that initial publicity. It, it just gets you in the woodworking right. magazines Exposure. in terms yeah. of publicity. But even those generate some publicity sure. and some interest. Right. People right. see your work. Whether, you know, I mean, they're like all these puzzle collectors. A lot of them are makers as well. They make puzzles, but they also collect them. You know, the people that just bought right. the spinning cabinet, they make puzzles, too. That doesn't oh, stop that them right? from, yeah, that doesn't stop them from buying stuff. Um, and the same, yeah, the same cool. kind of goes for woodworkers. I've sold a number of pieces to woodworkers over the years who just yeah. don't do the particular type of work I do. Well, and they're um, typically hob- hobbyist woodworkers, but like profession, almost professional hobbyist woodworkers, but with a really good paid job. Yeah. And that's, that's what I found. Yep. Is the, the doctors, the lawyers, they have a great shop. And they appreciate what you're doing and want a piece. And they, they don't have the time or the inclination to do it themselves. Yep. So they it. get yeah. something that yeah. is different than what they build in their shop. Typically, it's stuff like yeah. marquetry or it's art deco because it's just so much more time consuming to do. Right. It, it's pieces that they won't ever build on their own in their own shop. Yeah, that's awesome. The, the lady that commissioned the uh, Mother of Pearl desk, yeah. she had de- uh, size requirements, uh, parameters, and then was mother with the mother of pearl was that something that she wanted or yep yep she has a desk right now of those same dimensions with the same number of drawers and the same slide out tray it's just an older style it's um kind of a green paint with a ton of gold applique she's a jeweler um and it's very flashy but in a totally different way it's really ornate and kind of overdone and she wanted to sort of modernize her office so she's replacing that with this piece which is still going to be flashy and still going to be really decorative, but it's just not sort of screaming at you the whole time. Yeah. So uh, here's a crazy question. So what do you do when you take something so beautiful like that and you take it to a house and their, and their floor is at a level and the table, the table rocks because of their floor. You got those business cards in your pocket. You just <laughs> stuff them under there. <laughs> you get your hand plane yeah. out and you start hand plane in the high spots you of the floor. And then they, and the then they move it. <laughs> yep. You tape, tape around it with some blue tape, tape. and you don't move it. Don't, that's it. It stays right here. <laughs> you can do a lot with felt pads. It's kind of surprising. You know, sticky felt right. pads on the feet. You can do a lot. And shave them down yeah. in one and you know, build sure. them up in another. They just lit really good. Yeah, just or just just, just have some shims of Marlboro pole. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Or just <laughs> or just drill a hole in it and toe screw it. Yep. <laughs> but, but that particular client, she did want a desk with mother of pearl, and she wanted something with curves. So that's that's the design I came up with, and she liked that's it. it came out. It was big and bold in the shape. The legs are meant to be big and bold. And so a client are. like this, do they want to see it? You know, midway through, or she just want to be totally surprised? How does that work? No, no. She saw the design as we were working on it and we refined it a little bit back and forth. And then she's seen progress pictures along the way. 
um, she's seen basically all the stuff I've posted on Instagram. I sent her the same pictures right. so that she can see it as it gets further and further along. And on a piece like that, do you do a, a 3D rendering um, to, to as far as to to get down the design with the client? Or is that like, how, how's your process for that, that's, selling a piece to a client? That's drawn in, well, I don't do any CAD drawings until I have a deposit. Okay. So that's, that, and you were, you were asking before about business. That's one thing that I do yep. now that I didn't used to do. And it's right. been years that I've done that. But I do the minimal possible amount of work before I get a deposit. Before you get them locked down. Yeah, yep. right. because I used to do that. I used to go out and go to site visits and I used to talk to clients and spend hours doing drawings for them for them to realize it was you know five times what they actually wanted to spend yep. because they had no idea what they wanted. <laughs> so they call you up and you go out and you tell them, oh, that's $10,000. Oh, well, I only have 2000 yeah, um, like, well, I just, I just, I just wasted like ten hours on that design. Yeah. So some of the some of the first communications I have with a client are budget related. We'll we'll talk about the design right. of the piece, but within the first like two emails, we're talking budget. You, do you right. have a budget for this piece? This kind of a thing in this sort of complexity, it's going to be in this range. You know, this is going to be between ten and fifteen thousand dollars, right from the start. Right. And then you know, if if it's too much, it saves me the time of. Sure. Spending back and forth 20 emails before I finally get the courage to ask them how much they want to yeah. spend. We talked yeah. about this a little bit on the last show about yeah, uh, yeah, putting the did. 30% yeah. down. Do you do, how do you, how do you handle that? On smaller projects, like say less than 15,000, I do half down, half when it's done before shipping. Okay. On larger yeah. stuff, I break it into typically four payments. Actually, uh, we came up with a, a new method. We, we decided to do three three installments of 40%. I like that better. That would be even better. I like that one. Four installments of 40% would be even better, though. It's a nice even number. Yeah, right. I was going to say, yeah, we can tell you're in California. That's, that's, well, we got a high cost of living over here, man. Right. Yeah, rent pay. Right. But got two kids. Yeah. yeah. Dozen well, kids to feed. Kids well, to I think, you know, that that's something that I... Um, I did wrong to start out with, and I, I, I'm a rookie compared to all you guys. Because I mean, I've only been in my business for three years as myself, but within the first year, I quickly realized I was like, I'm not doing any design work until I know they have the budget and they've agreed on it, and then we move forward. Because yeah. it's just, I started getting disgruntled, and you get a lot of people contacting you, and you spend. It takes a lot of time, and if I'm going into SketchUp and drawing it out. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And I kept having them coming back going, I love the piece, but I don't have that budget. I like, I like the idea you know, of, of having a price range. That makes more sense. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and you could cuz then you can work with that a little bit too. You can, it's but like, you, well, we get rid of this inlay. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, but, you you can, but you definitely if there's one thing you start higher as opposed to lower. Sure. Uh, when it comes to the range as well. And, you know, you've really got to think it out, too, in terms of giving somebody a range so you have an idea that you tell them it's between 10 and 15 and it turns out it's 25. Right. You probably aren't getting <laughs> yeah. that job. But at the same time, yeah. it shouldn't be five. You know, it, right. should, it should be you have to you have to. And it comes from experience, I think you have to have a pretty good idea of what it's going to take you. It, yeah. Just based on, a, you know, sample discussion with the client, a rough idea of what they're talking about and materials and be able to come up with a number in your head and that comes from experience but anybody can do it with enough experience it, it just takes time 
but it, it is right, something right. I think every, like you guys talked about in your last podcast, it's something every beginner does. And for some reason, it's just expected that woodworkers have a lot of free time and they don't mind coming over to your house and looking at everything you want to do, even though you're <laughs> right. and drawing no and redrawing something. Yeah. Even though you have times. no intention yeah. of paying them. Right. Yeah. It's like you, if I call for an electrician right now or a plumber, you're paying them. Charge me yep. just to come look. They're going to charge. Yep. It is. It's fascinating. So again, kind of back to um, like, okay, so now you have a client that have, they've agreed with the ballpark price. Then do you do, I mean, do you do a rent? Like, are you a, a guy that goes on uh, vellum and does a drawing or chicken scratch or how, mm. how's that process? I know you do the CAD for the complicated like stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll, because I've been using the CAD so long, I'll do the CAD for even just a quick sketch. Okay. Just to get, here's the basic dimensions of the piece and here's what it looks like as a 3d model. It, okay. you know, it's right. roughly the color of the wood, but it's not rendered. Sure. I don't render wood grain on stuff. I don't do lighting or any of that. It's taken directly out of SolidWorks. I just change the color of components so that it looks like the materials that they're going to use. Right. Dark or light. Um, or, yeah. Right. But, it, but by the time I've done that, I've probably also got a deposit. Sure. Right. 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 That's, that's when the deposit comes, then you work on a design, right? Yeah. The deposit typically comes before I'll do even the rough sketches, to be honest with okay. you. I, right. I don't. I really try not to do very much that I'm not getting paid for. And that, that comes sure. from just, it's a business and I've got four mouths to feed with it. I don't have time to waste drawing stuff that I'm not getting paid to draw. That um, makes sense. Right. So if I, you know, I'll, I'll start off with a client comes, they want a certain type of piece. We'll have a couple emails to figure out, you know, here's a range of what it's going to cost. If that's okay, we'll have a couple more emails to sort of refine the design enough that I can give them what I think is a reasonable price for it. And at that point, a deposit comes, and then we start. Do, do they? Do you make? Do you do you use a contract? I do. It's it's very simple though. It's basically yeah. part of the quote. You know, it, sure. It doesn't have any legalese in it, even though I had an attorney suggest that I give them like a three-page contract to sign. I I opted not <laughs> I to do that. I don't, yeah, I don't do that. I, I don't know. I've I've heard people do that, and, and people get put off pretty fast. Yeah, it it's a little bit too much, like you know, calling the uh, the big air conditioning companies or the big electrical companies. You know, right. here's three pages of stuff you have to sign because if we yeah. accidentally burn your house down, it's not our fault. Right. <laughs> um, so mine, it's it's typically I try and keep my quotes to a single page. They have you know, the client's info, my info, and then a description of the piece and pricing for any sort of options they want to add. And then basic, simple disclaimers like, you know, shipping's not included. Sure. How does shipping work, especially to Singapore? I create the pieces. I have a company, company here locally where I get them created professionally and I pay for that. And then I give them the address of the creator where they can have their trucker pick the piece up and they take care of the shipping. All the so, international clients take care of shipping on their end. Mm. And so nationally, you've right. you've been dealing with the same um, shipping company for a while that you trust. Um, I have one guy that does pretty much all of my U.S. deliveries. He comes from New York once a month and picks up as he comes across the states, and then drops off on his way back. And then the next month, oh, he nice. goes the opposite direction. So oh, as long that's as awesome. he, yeah, as long as the piece fits into his schedule and it can wait for you know his next trip going the right direction then he'll do basically a blanket wrap delivery. He's an art shipper, but he does blanket wrap furniture deliveries as well. Right, when he doesn't right. fit in, I'll get pieces created from the same local crating company, and then I'll have them truck freighted with a white glove delivery to the final destination. Have you ever used a company called Plycon? I used them many times, and then I got tired of them breaking everything I shipped. Oh, so I are you kidding me? Them. 
Wow. Every, every shipment for a period of about two years was damaged. Oh, scraps. I was going to say, like, because my mentor has been using it for 30 years and that's who I use. And we've never had, never had problems, but yeah, I don't, I, I think it's the local, it's the local Plycon right. office and it's probably changed by now, but sure. Yeah, it was, well, was and that's getting, all it takes is a couple of goons and that's that, you know? Yeah. I was getting pieces that were scratched. I've had pieces with legs broken off oh, and you know, th these are pieces clients have been waiting for for months already. And now, right. oh my gosh. Back. so I stopped using Plycon years ago and went the blanket wow. wrapped route. Right, right. And that's and that's what I, I do um with Plycon is uh the the when you said white glove, that's what made me think of it. I do the white glove so nothing ever gets crated. Yeah. And I like this yeah. It it makes sense. I think it, once you put it in a crate it makes the forklift driver think it's just free <laughs> and it doesn't matter how fast he picks it up or puts it down and that that's oh, not really man. what furniture is meant to have happen to it. It's not meant to be no. picked up and dropped on a no, I've seen some horror stories with forklifts and crates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luckily, this company locally does a really good job in their crating. Everything's very well packed inside, and they've shipped pieces all over the world for me now: That's... London, Singapore. I've uh, got one going to Qatar next month. They've got pieces That's going awesome. everywhere. And, but the shipping part of it, once it's crated, is a hundred percent on the clients because they're typically coming from uh, with the budget of these pieces they're coming from a location where they've shipped pieces in before because you need a variety of things to happen along the way right import duties taxes you yep. know inspections the piece going to qatar has to be stamped somewhere visibly that it was made in the usa there's all kinds of rules for whatever reason going to saudi arabia there's all kinds of rules about how the piece has to be labeled and packaged before it gets there Hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, where other places don't have that problem, Singapore doesn't care. You know, just get bring it over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just take it. Yeah, yeah I, I just recently got in contact. I can't remember the name of the guy, but it's just it's from a. Uh, again, I'm lucky. I know a lot of furniture makers in the area that have been doing it for a long time. So I'm just I'm using you know I'm, I'm piggy banking off of them. But I have some chairs going to Australia, and I didn't quite realize. Uh, like you just said, the duties and stuff that you it's had expensive. to. Yeah, and it was some weird thing on. Uh, it cannot be a gift. Like if it's just um, a piece of furniture, like as if you just bought it from a store and then you're sending it out. This particular company, because I kept telling the guys like it's furniture. He goes, well, you can't. We we don't do that. I'm like, you do it for my friends Gary Weeks. <laughs> he goes, oh, you made the furniture. I'm like, yeah, I'm making it. The clients bought it in Australia. <laughs> I need to ship it. <laughs> you know, it, it yeah. took me like 10 times saying it. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's expensive for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably people trying to get around the import duties and taxes yes. by calling it a gift. Yeah, yeah. But it yeah, I mean, the, the last piece that went to Singapore, I think the shipping was $3,000. I just yeah. freighted a piece. The spinning cabinet got uh, created and freighted to um, Florida, and it was $2,500. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It adds up really fast. And that's just going yeah. truck freight. But it had creating on this end, white glove delivery and unpacking at the client's home, moved into their house and all the trash taken with them. So it's a it's a full service thing. Right. And that adds quite a bit to the cost. If you're willing to take it out of the crate yourself, you can save a lot of money. Or if sure. the client is willing to take it out of the crate and dispose of it. Sure. Right, right. But people that are spending yeah. this kind of money don't typically want to do that. They want the piece no, to arrive yeah. and they put in place and yeah. And and that you know even though it sounds expensive twenty five hundred bucks and compared to what they're getting it's they 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 get it you know I, I typically tell people internationally at least that 
freight is between five and 10% of the total cost. Right. And it's been pretty consistent. Sometimes it's a little less, sometimes like the one going to Qatar, I'm sure it's going to be a little more. Um, other times it's less. The ones that went to London were a little bit less, but there were, there were import duties there as well that were like 600 bucks when the pieces arrived. Yeah, and, and you, wow. don't, you don't deal with that, though. That's the client no, on the other end. Yeah, that's all the clients. Yeah, and I, I kind of, <laughs> I didn't speak. I still have to talk with this client in Australia, but, um, yeah, I mean, we're going ahead with doing it, but that was one of the things he told me. He's like, now you, you know they have to pay the, the duties on their side. I'm like, I guess they know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I probably should mention it. <laughs> yeah, you should probably mention it, but people that are buying stuff, internationally like that they've probably done it before. they should know that yeah right and they have done it before so that's kind of i was like i, I imagine they they know what they're yeah. doing so but yeah <laughs> it did cross my mind though or it's they'll like, call oh, you boy. and say hey phil you owe us like five hundred dollars <laughs> i know right <laughs> like it's coming in the morning. hey, hey craig <laughs> uh you want to talk about your uh the craft of veneering real quick hey i've got a book coming out yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is the first time we've mentioned this in the whole. It's been like an hour. <laughs> know, it's been hey, it's your show. You should. <laughs> you got green it was plugs. every five minutes throughout the show. That's why I was paying you guys. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, Ben has all the money. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. right. <laughs> yeah, even even writing the book, it seemed like it that you did it really quickly. <laughs> that was nine months I had to write that, and that came from the publisher. Wow. Uh, that was... Okay. Who who is the publisher? Taunton Press. Taunton. So, yeah, okay. I, I think right, they're probably the best place to go for craft type books because they're big. They do a lot of craft right. books, and they're they're pumping books out. Um, but you definitely sure. have to perform on a pretty tight schedule. I had, from the time we signed the contract, I had nine months to get them the completely written book and all the photos. I did all the photos for the book as well. Um, wow. Luckily, I've got a really good photographer that shoots pictures of my stuff, and he would come over and set up the lights and the camera and get everything set just where it needed to be. We'd shoot some test photos, and then I'd shoot photos for an entire chapter that way. Um, but yeah, it was... a. Uh, it was a push to get it done in nine months. I tried to do a couple of things with the book. It's intended to be not for any one particular skill set. It starts at the very basics of here's a tree. How does it become veneer? Mm, and then moves fantastic. very cool. Yeah, there's. I, I talked to a couple of the veneer suppliers that I work with, uh, Indiana Veneer, Herzog Veneer. Um, I know there's a couple others, Veneer Tech. And I've got pictures in the book and some interesting oh, logs are sliced the process of slicing them and drying and sorting and then even going through making like two ply sheets paperback veneer things like that is covered in essentially the first chapter just describing what veneer is and how it's manufactured and then it moves very quickly into okay you've got a piece of veneer what do you do with it and it starts at that very basic level of i have one piece of veneer what do i do I, you know i need some glue and i need to put stuff on the glue got to get some substrates so we talk about substrates we talk about glues and it just kind of goes from there and it, each chapter has a simple project the projects get more complex as you get farther in there's marquetry parquetry curved veneer work um, veneer edging book matching radio matches um, working with burls yeah. working with straight grain veneer and each Exciting. chapter has yeah each chapter has essentially a, a sample project 
And in addition to it being a sample project, each chapter uses either a different glue or a different substrate. So I go through, oh, cool. you know, PVA, polyurethane, epoxy, hot pros high glue. And pros and cons to all of them. Essentially, yeah. And the same thing with substrates, solid wood, Baltic birch, MDF. We go through all of those. And then each project is done in a different form. So there's projects with liquid hide glue, hot hide glue, urea formaldehyde, polyurethane glues on Baltic birch, on MDF, on solid wood. And it, I try to give a, really an overview of everything you could want to know about veneering to be able to do, you know, even a simple project or a complex project or marquetry or parquetry. There's enough in there that somebody that's been doing veneers for years on, you know, cabinets or tables could learn something very quickly sure. about maybe they want to do parquetry or maybe they want to learn how to do waterfall edging. Um, that's sure. in there. Maybe they want to learn how to do waterfall edging in resawn veneer or in commercial veneer. It's, that's all in there. Uh, so I've tried to make it. Really, that sounds really, yeah, that can't sounds wait to get a great book. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've, I've tried to. In my pre-order. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, that was one of the things I wanted to do with it is get a book that appeal to not just the beginner not just an expert but it kind of appealed to anybody that would be interested in veneering you could learn yeah. something no that's, matter what your skill level was sure that's smart yeah and then the other thing i did was the the books kind of got a variety of sample pictures and galleries showing so each chapter has pictures of work showing the technique that's being learned in that chapter in a variety of makers work there's i think about 35 different makers in the book and they're people whose work i really admire Nice. Um, and I wanted to kind of publicize that. There are a lot of them that don't get a lot of publicity for whatever reason. So I wanted to get these, you know, excellent makers, some additional publicity. So each chapter has, there's guys from Australia, guys from the UK, the US, um, none of you guys, unfortunately. <laughs> hey, come on, man. I, thought it was I didn't know you guys surprise. then. Sorry. I thought you were going to surprise me, man. That hurt a little bit. No, you, you, would, have had to, you would have had to sign a, uh, a release form at some point. So if you haven't done that yet, then your pictures didn't make oh, it into the box. So this is a, a little off subject, but when you deal with clients and do you ever run into the situation where you tell them, that something is going to be be veneered and they wrinkle their nose? Not for a long time. Um, right. In the past, so Most of maybe, your clients are, are aware of, of the advantages of veneer. I think they're aware Versus of that the, and, the bad rap that, you know, especially, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you know. Was, yeah. Right, right. Well, then that's, you know, it's contact cemented or it's, you know, it's <laughs> in, improperly glued or... You know, there's something along the way that was a problem. Or it's shelf paper um, with a photograph. Yeah, it's, wood. it's printed veneer. <laughs> printed it's veneer right out of the printer. Real wood. Uh, fresh um, out of the printer. No, most of the clients I get get to see sort of the variety of wood that's available in veneer. And that's also something we talk about in the book is that, you know, you can go to your lumber yard and you can probably buy 20 different species of wood maybe. And maybe in those, you can get one or two of them that will have some figure, curly maple, something else, maybe some walnut will have a little curl. You might get lucky and find something really interesting. But in veneer, you've got hundreds of options. Right. Figure, color, pattern. You know, you can, you can make an entire cabinet out of spalted maple, which you couldn't do out of solid wood. You can make a cabinet out of walnut burl, macassar ebony. I mean, things that you can't, yeah. you couldn't possibly afford. Just to, right. Yeah, the the drop front desk I just did was the interior was all veneered in Amboina Burl, which is mm. expensive in veneer, 
but simply not something you'd ever use in solid form. So it's not like you're going to make a cabinet out of solid Amboina burl anyways. Even right, if you right, could right. find it, you, you couldn't possibly afford it. It would be, you know, $100,000 for a little cabinet. It would be ridiculous because the veneer is, you know, $50 a square foot. Um, so I, I get clients that see the possibilities of veneer and are open to that typically because they've seen my other work. And I, I talk about it on my website that most of my work is veneer. It's, it's veneer wrapped in a solid wood frame. So the veneer panels are all protected, except on Art Deco work, which is typically all veneer. Most of my work is veneer with a solid wood frame around it. So mm -hmm. that you can't get to the veneer edges to chip a veneer edge. Sure. It, right. it would be difficult to damage it. Right, right. Unlike the Art Deco right. work, which is basically 100%. Sure, right. that makes sense. And and this is, um, you've you've published a book before, right? No, I've written a lot of articles for Fine Woodworking over the years. Okay. And okay, some of the articles see. I've written became fodder for the book uh, because a lot okay, of the articles right. I was writing were on veneering. I see. That's what I'm probably thinking. But and you've been, I mean, you've been writing for Fine Woodworking for a long time, right? Yeah, since um, 2007, I think. Um, wow. that, that was entirely because of the former editor at Fine Woodworking, Asa Christiana. He was a fan of my okay. work, um, and he was the one that gave me the uh, the best in show from Fine Woodworking at the Design of Wood show in 2007. And shortly okay. after that, I started writing articles for him. And then he also connected me with the editor at Taunton Books, so he's directly responsible for the book happening as well. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Nice. He's very helpful. But and the, he's a really nice guy. And he, he just published a book of his own, and he's doing a second book now as well, I think. Um, right, right. And your and book. we're talking. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Jeez, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, your, your, your new book, though, the book that, that, that you've just, that's coming out um, here in the next couple of days, or, or The Craft of Veneering. The craft of veneering. That <laughs> that stuff is all. That's all new. That's all new material. That's not a composite of past articles. Is that right? Some of it is. Um, I did some, pull a little some, bit of information from the articles. Yeah, but because you, the but articles they wrote themselves. Like it, no, from, no, no, no. Like some been, some some of their books are 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 basically just a bunch yeah, of articles compilations together. Yeah. Yep. Yep. They that, do a lot of those. what this is. No, no. This this is all. It's also all my material, um, but like for the curved veneer work where I talk about veneering coves, um, that material I covered in an article, one of my first articles for fine woodworking. So I took the material from that and expanded it into a chapter instead of it just being you know three or four pages in a masterclass article. So I've whatever right. material I took from the articles I've written has been expanded immensely. So what was a three or four page article with a couple pictures is now you know, a 12 page chapter with 30 or 40 pictures. So there's, there's quite a bit more information in there. And then there's, there's more because I've only written, I think a two or three articles on veneering for fine woodworking parquetry and uh, the current veneering. The rest of the book is all new information that was created just for the book. And even the, the samples that I did for the, the code veneering and the parquetry, I made all new samples for the new photographs for all that stuff as well. Okay, right, right. Okay. Yeah, so it's not just dragged from another article. That's no. Man, I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, it's, Me too. 
Yeah, yeah. A, I'd like to see one too soon. Be really I, I bet you are. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you are. Yeah, it's a lot of work. I'd like to get myself a signed copy if I could, but I haven't seen, I haven't seen you one. You want us yet. to sign it? Is that what you're saying? You need my address <laughs> or just sign it and send it over, would you? That's awesome. I'll have to charge you. Oh, That's all yeah. right. I know. I, was, I noticed, Ramon, you've got the the df 500 domino docs going but i can't decide if i want to get one of those or just get the adapter from is it seneco uh seneco so woodworking that seneco. adapter is amazing yeah and they have a dommy shim they have a dommy shim kit but with with that adapter you really don't need the df 500 i don't think um yeah i was thinking i get the adapter loads sell of, my... loads of money no i thought i'd get the adapter and sell my 500 because i've got your your df 700 and i love it the thing works great it, it is even uh, though it is useful I, I don't, yeah i don't use clamps on it still i do it all freehand right. people, people <laughs> don't like that that's uh that's a safety <clears throat> police uh issue did, that i did you get the uh disclaimer <laughs> you'll notice that on, came with it you'll, you'll notice <laughs> on my instagram that there are very few pictures of me working with power tools and or for that reason me working with power tools yeah i just i have no interest yeah. to show people how i work because a lot of right. the stuff i do because it's a production-oriented environment, I'm not spending as much time as I would hope a, a hobby woodworker would spend on all of the safety precautions you should take. Right. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing things faster because I've done them hundreds or thousands of times. Right. Where if right, you're in a garage right. shop and you're doing this every Saturday for a couple hours, you should be using it's, all the safety gear. Yeah, it's dangerous for you. It doesn't make it dangerous for somebody with decades of experience. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you gotta love the safety police. Yeah. He didn't well, get that I mean, disclaimer because the XL sits on the sits on the bench by itself. But you like that? Oh, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, I like that the little disclaimer. Is there's a new, there's a disclaimer on it now? Yeah, well, the it will belly, the... belly flop off your bench or something. Uh, if you break your domino, it's not my fault. Pretty right. much. <laughs> Yeah, I just uh, wrote that uh, I will not be responsible for your beloved DF500 doing a Peter Pan off your workbench. Peter Pan, that's what it was. <laughs> oh, <very nice. laughs> just going to jump for it. <laughs> no, that so sock has been, has been very useful. I used it on the, uh, the Mother of Pearl desk, actually, to... Oh, my, I got bombarded with orders. I mean, I bet. That's fantastic. Probably close to 80 orders. Oh, yeah, wow. That's yeah. really cool. <laughs> it's yeah, not what I want to be a full-time business. Uh, yeah. yeah. For, now it's CNC for, mode, buddy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Crank it. No, it's it's yeah, not get, what I want to. It's not it's not where I'm going. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I said before. If you want to make jigs, that's great. The, a buddy <laughs> of mine was, you making, was making me a shopping cart, and it would have really facilitated things. But he uh, he got sick and didn't get it done, and so. But <clears throat> it's it's all working out. I'm cranking out batches of 25 at a time, and. That's it's, awesome. a, it's a beautiful thing. When you've got it, it seems like you've got it pretty well jigged up to just bang those things out. Uh, yeah, you know, I worked in production shops for years, so making jigs, and I'm, I'm sure you're, you exactly know what I'm talking about, Craig. You, you make jigs, and they work, and then you refine them and till they're spot on, and and you just get really efficient. Uh, I do not. So. I do not do that at all. <laughs> because everything I make is different than the last thing I made. 
So I, I have very few jigs in the shop. I don't tend to keep them around. I don't keep templates around because I don't end up making stuff more than once. Right. I typically so hold jig... on to it thinking someone will order the same piece again. And they never <laughs> it's do. covered with dust in the corner. Oh. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just end up throwing them out after a year or two. Yeah. Like, I have okay. a solution for that. If you, if you want to know how to get rid of them all. Do you have a flood in your shop and the oh water down about two feet deep? <laughs> so go, I'll go put a hose in my shop right now. <laughs> just put all the jigs. That's where all of my jigs that I was saving were. All my bending forms that I had actually saved. Everything was on the floor when that flood happened last year. Oh, oh no, geez. It, it cleared the shop out of jigs and fixtures. So it was somewhat liberating, huh? <laughs> I didn't have to move as much stuff to the new shop. So that would you realize that uh, it's gone. There's nothing I can do about it. Man, nope. that new shop. What, what's the square footage on your new shop? I think I asked you this on the DM. Uh, I think but... it's it's about two thousand square feet. I think I use about fifteen or sixteen hundred of it, and then the the people I lease from park their work trucks in a a little narrow alley on it. Okay. Um, cool. At, at night, they take them out in the morning, and then they bring them back at night, so I can overflow into the extra couple hundred feet. But it's probably in the sixteen sixteen hundred square foot range. Nice. And now you got it's, it uh, AC'd, I saw, so that's pretty I sweet. do, yeah. It's entirely your fault. I, I think I should have opted for heat as well, but I didn't. I opted for just oh, AC. Oh, you didn't get the heat. Uh-oh. Uh, you know, it doesn't get that cold. It doesn't get that cold, right? Yeah, yeah. Just you're, get a wood-burning stove. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's what they, they would like that. I'm sure they'd be really happy if they started. Right, the insurance company would like that. <laughs> no, the, the insulation and the air conditioning have helped quite a lot. The insulation made a huge difference. Because oh, it's, yeah. you know, concrete block building with flat roof, just plywood, right. a layer of asphalt. So the insulation uh, made a huge difference. And it's definitely better for me and the furniture to be a little more controlled temperature. Sure. sure. Right. A bit more pleasant to work mm-hmm. in. Yeah. I don't keep my shop as cool as you keep yours, though, Philip. You said yours was like 68 degrees or something. I just can't, <laughs> I can't afford that. I'm trying to keep it keep it at like 82 or below. 82, come on! I got a mini split, so it's really cheap. It's very efficient. It runs all summer. (laughs) Well, my shop, my shop is is small. I mean, my shop's 800 square feet, and it's low ceilings and yeah, yeah. I've got six. And you got that. Got 16 foot ceilings, and you know the total space is about 2,500 square feet with the overflow and it. The mini split right. guy came by and he said, "There's no way it won't do it." No, yeah, yeah, it's too much. Well, well, Phil's got Phil's got a drop cord going over to the neighbor's house too. That I wish I could do that yeah. with the power. Yeah, man. <laughs> that, that, that's why my internet. That's why my internet went off too. Yeah, it probably. just unplugged me. Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna save money somehow. I'm too slow in the shop, so. <laughs> <laughs> just gotta speed it up man just gotta know, get out right? there and get working i know you seem to be doing stuff pretty fast though you got that desk done the... yeah the desk desk's done and is that gone tables done and no it's the client um is get he has to get the uh what is it called co or something uh to move it in because it's a new oh. building yeah so he's got to get signed off before they can move certificate of occupancy. of occupancy yeah yeah, yeah. You're not taking so, care of that, I imagine, the moving part. Um, I am, because it's just, it's local. Oh, okay. And it's yeah, your baby. <laughs> it's my baby. Um, no, I am. Like, I, I you know, for, when it's local, I just charge him a fee uh, to take it local. I have a trailer, and I'll just go take it. I never charge enough. Apart, right? but it comes into three sections. The, 
it doesn't come apart as much as you would think. <laughs> it's not. It's not two pedestals in the top. No, it's not. And and it's just because the the joinery, the the whole castle joint, and then the inlaid panels yeah. and the it, it just. I went back and forth. And I was like, you know, I just don't see it. I'm, I know it could be done, but I was like, I don't see it happening. So yeah, I I did it as a big solid piece. The back comes off and the base comes off. So. Yeah, it's it's heavy, <laughs> but it will fit for a door, so that's okay. Well, that's all that matters, yeah. really. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. But very cool. All right, on. Well, Greg, man, I really wanted to say thank you. Yeah, being on the show and and man, it's great to to get a chance to to hear from you. I know all three of us. I know myself in particular. You know, just really enjoys you know following your work and watching what it is that you do it's kind of a i don't know just it's it's just interesting to see uh somebody pull the things off that you pull it's off. really a, <laughs> a, a whole different level i mean you're, you're you're in a league all your own buddy no oh, yeah. well thank you i appreciate yeah. it. i appreciate you guys having me on too it was a lot of fun i i, yeah. I should probably follow you on instagram yeah, Are you want yeah. I just unfollowed I think you I'll, a few minutes ago, so I feel I feel so we should ina- do that back and inadequate. Forth. I think I'll unfollow him. You have too many followers, Philip. I can't catch up. I'm too far behind. So yeah. I don't know what you did. How many of those you bought? Like fifty thousand. I just bought them all. They're all like they're all in India. I don't even know them. Ben is the one that's falling behind, though. I gotta get Ben up there, man. Come on, Ben. Come on. Yeah, yeah. It is a pleasure to follow you. I, I, when I saw that you came on Instagram, I geeked out. Trust me. Uh, and I should have gone on a few years before that. A guy was trying to get me to go on for a few years. And I was like, no, nah, what do I need to do that for? Right. Well, we're woodworkers. Yeah. That's how we are. It's right. Like, I don't need that. And I had a friend, too. You need to go on Instagram. What am I going to do with that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, meet people, sell stuff. Yeah, right? Market your Find a community oh, that's positive and totally unlike Facebook. Start a, start a podcast. You know, <laughs> get to speak to one of my idols. You know, whatever. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Very cool. well, it was a lot of fun, much, guys. Much appreciated. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Well, all right. That was fantastic. Thanks a ton for checking out another Woodworkers podcast. We absolutely appreciate it. If you have any questions, you can shoot us an email, and that's contact at woodworkerspodcast.com, or you could DM any one of us on Instagram. As always, we look forward to your input and feedback on the show, as well as suggestions on topics for future shows. Be sure to check out Craig Thibodeau. His Instagram is, what is your Instagram? At at CT Fine Furniture, correct? Yep. And his website is ctfinefurniture.com. He's got his new book out, The Craft of Veneering. You can check out some handmade furniture of the absolute highest caliber on his website. We really appreciate it. So on behalf of Ben and Phil and Craig, I'm Ramon, and we'll see you guys on the next episode of Woodworkers Podcast. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys. Take care. Ciao. Thanks, Craig. Thank you. See you guys.